Hello and welcome to Fragmenters, the most entertaining podcast that I've found where you get to have a conversation with business women who are enthusiastic about life, work, and money. We love building up other women and getting them ready for their new careers. Cause, 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 no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Appreciate everyone who's been rating, reviewing, subscribing to the podcast. Our numbers are just going up, 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 and it is all because of you. I mean, maybe a little bit of me, but definitely you and my guests. Speaking of, today we have Jen Crompton. She is a digital marketing and communication strategist. Now, Jen, welcome. And what is that? <laughs> Thank you. And um, good question. So I work in the digital marketing space. So I help companies kind of figure out what they need to do from a digital marketing perspective and um, kind of help them with their messaging and their branding and help them really understand how they can communicate their value online in the digital space. Awesome. How did you get into it and how long have you been doing it? So I have a very long story and I won't make it that long because everyone will fall asleep by the time I get to the end. But what I, the part of the story I like to share is that I was fired multiple times from jobs very earlier in my career. And I did this speech one time called fired four times because at the time I was fired four times, although it may have been, may have actually been five, but it didn't flow so well. But anyway, the point (laughs) is, is, um, I tried to work in corporate America. I tried to, I had different jobs and I just was not, I I never quite fit into that role where I was supposed to be because I always wanted to do things outside of the role and it just didn't seem to work for others. And um, I was fired from a few jobs, but the very good part about that, I guess, is that when I was fired, the people who fired me were essentially like, you know, I think you're going to do great things in this world, but it's just not here. This just isn't the right role for you. And when you're young, that's really hard to understand because you're like, wait, I have no job. Like, that's all you hear is I'm fired. I have no job. And, you know, in my life, I've been very successful in a lot of things that I worked hard at. So I was like, I've been working hard at this job. Like, but now I don't have it. So it was, it was a tough, tough pill to swallow when I was first fired. But what I kind of found to, under, to understand was that all of those things were, you know, a redirection in my career. And so what I ended up doing after I was fired the fourth time, actually like the third time, it was the third time, um, I started my own kind of side hustle before side hustles were really, you know, popular. And mm-hmm. I started, um, I, I had a mentor of mine who said, you know, you're getting into this social media space and I, I think it's going to blow up and it's going to be great and you should definitely get into it a little bit more. So I started to, you know, really kind of look into the different platforms and how people were using them. And I was essentially like two steps ahead of most, right? So being just a little bit ahead of other people kind of gave me an edge and they started to look at me as someone who did know what they were doing in the social media space. Mm -hmm. So I, when I had my final job that I was fired from, I used to get up early, take calls before I would go to that job. I would take calls at lunchtime in my car. I would take calls on my ride home. And I was just trying to kind of build my business on the side. And meanwhile, you know, doing all the research 
research I could do. And my, my main job was in social media. So it kind of all played into each other, which was really nice. Yeah. But when I was fired from that last job, I remember thinking, well, okay, because, because <laughs> I was like, you know what, at this point, right before I was fired, I had built up enough revenue in my own business that I was kind of at a crossroads where I said to my then boyfriend, now husband, I think I can do this. And he's like, well, just do it then. And I was like, yeah, but I don't have benefits and like all the things that everyone told me I'm supposed mm -hmm. to have, I'm not going to have. And he's like, you know what, do it. And if you fail, I'll be here. And I was like, you know, in my young thinking, he's just my boyfriend. I was like, yeah, sure. He'll be here for me. He is here for me, which is great, but who knew Good. at the time? <laughs> um, but so then I went out on my own and started doing consulting for smaller businesses and teaching them how to use digital media and kind of, you know, Again, I was only a couple steps ahead of everyone else, but they didn't have to do the research and figure it out. So I gave them integrated strategic marketing plans and communications plans. And from there, I kind of parlayed that into content marketing. And my background is really in public relations. So it kind of all plays with each other. And now my career has taken a bit of a full circle to the point right now where I'm still doing strategic communications for some clients, but I'm also back to doing some PR. But optimizing the public relations opportunities with social media. So a lot of maybe buzzwords in there, but really I just <laughs> teach people what they should be putting online. <laughs> it's people like you that save small businesses like mine that put out any content reels with like tips and stuff. Yeah. So that's what I've started advising more of my clients to do, um, especially with like everyone going to TikTok as like a search engine. You know, it's I have a lot of views on that. But <laughs> one of the things is, is I always say like, well, if you have good information and it's credible, people are looking for it. Someone needs mm -hmm. it. So get it out there the best you can. And when during this whole this whole journey of my career, part of it took a, a slight turn to go towards something I was very passionate about, which is fitness. And I mm -hmm. opened up a fitness studio with my husband, which um, was amazing and was one of the best experiences I've ever had. But what was great was at the time, because I had the background in PR and marketing, I was able to do that for my own business, which was yeah. amazing. And it was great. You know, I probably should have hired someone to actually do it all for me, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> yeah. Do you still have it or? I still train a couple clients that I've held on to. And mm -hmm. actually in a fun twist of events, last April, my husband quit his full-time job, which was always like our our safety net per se. And mm -hmm. he went out to train people full time. And I went back to more of my marketing and communications. It's been great because when we had our business, we built this incredible, incredible community of people who were like-minded, very interested in fitness, but very not interested in being judgmental or being judged. Yeah. So it was really uh, a place for people to go just to get a great workout. Didn't matter what you wore, didn't matter how much money you made, what car you drove. It was just about getting a good workout and, you know, connecting with people and being supported. So through that, we made a lot of connections and a lot of people who, you know, we closed our studio due to the pandemic because mm -hmm. we couldn't carry the overhead without yeah. having anyone physically being in the studio. But a lot of our clients came back to us and they were like, can you please do something? Can you do classes and can you do whatever? So when we kind of gave up our physical space, I really wanted to keep the community together. And I felt like this great responsibility of I built something and I didn't want it to necessarily go away. And I knew that it didn't have to be contained by the four walls of this 
you know, building that we were renting. And instead I pivoted to do some online things. Um, we did outdoor classes all through the pandemic and it was incredibly rewarding because we were able to keep the community together. And during that time when everything was so abnormal, it was like the one hour of normalcy people had in their day where they would see familiar faces and do familiar things. And it felt like we were all just there, definitely, you know, in it together. So my husband has continued part of that business with his full-time training. And like I said, I still have a couple clients. The the community never left. We still have that, which is the best part and the the best byproduct of the business. It sounds like it. The entrepreneurial brain is so different than most. I love hearing how people took this thing that could have been a huge disaster and were able to pivot and change everything and still continue to do what they love and provide help. And like you said, normalcy. People in the future will not understand how, I don't want to say traumatizing, but just how earth shattering those two years were and having just a little bit of normalcy was I can't even explain it just one hour of normalcy saved people yeah well like you said it was like it was so jolting right like we didn't all of a sudden it was okay no one can go anywhere and we're all like well we don't even know what to do so okay and it was interesting because I remember you know we had to close our studio on uh was March 13th or March 14th right around there my son's birthday was right after that we were supposed Mm -hmm. to you know have this indoor mini golf party and we're like okay we can't do that we had to cancel it. So we took it to our studio and invited just a couple of friends. And I remember watching TV during his birthday party and thinking, oh, we have to like actually shut the studio down for two weeks. And okay, what are we going to do? And just I'm the type of person, which I've I realized this after the pandemic, that when, uh, you know, if something happens to me individually, I might, you know, lose it. <laughs> but when something's happening in a bigger context, I am the type of person to say, okay, what can I do? How can I help? And what is my responsibility? What is my role in this? So I remember thinking like, okay, like I know how to use Zoom. I have a a microphone. I have a ring light. Let's just set this all up and see what happens. And, you know, the first couple of classes that we did virtually weren't great. (laughs) The audio, you know, didn't sync up right. And there was some freezing. But um, I just remember the comments coming in right after people saying like, thank you for doing that. Like, you know, we, the expectations were low. So people were like, thank you for making the effort. And that's all I had to do was make the effort. And they knew what we were trying to do. So it was definitely an incredible experience. You know, I mean, I I don't ever like to say the positives. Well, I guess it's hard to say the positives, right? When there were so many negatives and so many people affected. But at the same time, it really did give you the opportunity to kind of see like how people can come together to support each other especially when there were no rules, right? It was like, no one knew what to do. It was just, let's just try to figure this out. So that's what we did. (laughs) You do a lot. You're really into fitness. You have your uh, communication and digital marketing business. Do you have a formal education, anything, or is it just school of hard knocks? So I went to college, got my uh, bachelor's in communications, got my master's in public relations. But there are two big experiences, I think, that were more effective than, you know, going to school. Like, don't let, don't get me wrong. School was great. But one of the things I did when I was in grad school was I was a graduate assistant. And in my role, I worked for the director of marketing at Rowan University, which is where I got my master's. 
And I remember being selected for the assistantship and I was so excited because it helped pay for tuition. But I also remember thinking, I think I like marketing, but I've never taken a marketing course in my entire, you know, educational career. And I don't even know what marketing is, you know, and I was like, should I tell them that? Like they selected me. I don't know what to do. (laughs) When I was brought into that role, I remember Ed Ziegler, who was the director of marketing. And he said, like my, one of my first couple days, he's like, what I'm going to have you do is you're going to write an integrated marketing plan for a new program that we're going to launch on campus. And I remember like thinking, no, like, I don't know how to do that. And I and I said to him, I think I outright said, like, I don't know how to write a marketing plan. And he said, well, I don't expect you to. But I'm here. And you have Google, and you have a lot of resources. And I have full faith in you that you can figure this out. So I often say that was the blessing and curse, right? Because it was great because I got to do this whole project. I did have professional resources. Ed was amazing. And he mentored me all the way through it. But it was also a curse in the sense that I had this like confidence that no matter what someone threw it at me, I would be able to figure it out. So it's good and bad. It's a good mentality to have. It's also sometimes a, a, a tough mentality to have because I always think, okay, well, that person said no. Okay, well, there's another way. You know, there's always another way out of this or another way to, to solve that problem. So that was definitely, it was while it was kind of part of my education, it was one of the most influential things I've done on my career and my path and my mindset. And then I would say the other one was, was when I started doing marketing on my own and kind of started my own business, I remember someone saying like, oh, you're an entrepreneur. And I was like, well, what's that? You know, they didn't teach that in school. So I knew nothing about the business side of things, nothing about operations, accounting. I was like, my eyes would roll back in my head. So (laughs) all of that was really just through finding people who were, a few steps ahead of me or who I really admired and would kind of latch onto them and say like, you know, let me observe you. Let me, let me be a sponge and take in everything I possibly can to learn from people who I really respected and looked up to. Mm -hmm. And that is where a lot of that education kind of came in. And when we had our, our fitness studio, most of that was, we're just going to figure it out as we go. (laughs) And if you would have told me all the things we would have ran into before we opened our business, I probably would have been like, never mind. I'll just, you know, live life. (laughs) But I mean, it's got your husband working fully for himself now. So yes, yes. And that was was part of the goal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm the type of person I would never regret anything. I don't ever look back and say, you know, I should have done this or done that because I always look at it as this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. So all of those experiences have shaped my path and and drove me in the right way. But I will say that, you know, I've had those macro goals in mind where I always said, I remember my first day of grad school, they asked you, you know, what do you want to do? What's your career goal? And I remember being like, I want to own my own business. And they're like, well, what kind? I'm like, I have no idea. And they're like, "Uh, I thought the idea of like the business comes first and then you decide you want to own it. I'm like, no, no, I just have this vision of me being a business owner and I'll figure out what business that is when I get there. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of been, uh, you know, you you have those goals. Like I did have the goal of, of my husband working for himself and that was his goal too. And it took a while to get there, but we did. So taking risks and just kind of saying like, you know, if we don't know the answers, we will find them. And that's kind of yeah. how we've always been. I identify so much with that too. This year, my husband was able to quit his job and he always wanted a laundromat. And I found a dry cleaner with a laundromat and we purchased it and he was able to quit his job and we own a business. And like you said, 
when you think you're getting into something and you know it, you just you have no clue. What's you, no idea, right? No idea. The funny thing is, is there was a laundromat across from our fitness studio, and I used mm-hmm. to always say those people make money. Yes, <laughs> yes. They, laundromats, they, car washes—that's where right? it's at. <laughs> I know. I was like, why? Why are we doing this? Like I have to be here all the time. Like that laundromat looks like it's running itself. I'm sure it doesn't. I'm not discounting the work that you do, (laughs) but I just remember being like, that looks like a better option. Why aren't we over there? (laughs) Well, now that I own one, I'll tell you, it is not as run itself as I thought it was. (laughs) That is for sure. Well, nothing is, right? It it always looks easier than it really is, but that's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a whirlwind. So what's been your biggest obstacle in pursuing this besides getting fired for probably five times? (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, early in my career, I think that I felt this need to prove myself because I was young and I was female and I was in this industry, which is, you know, not always male dominated, but a lot of the companies I was working with were tech companies. And so those were very male dominated. And I was writing about technology and I was writing about cloud computing and mobility and things like that, that not a lot of females were really like kind of latching onto. But I was always intrigued by the tech industry because I love like electronics and new tech toys. And I was always getting like the latest gadget. And I really just started to kind of gravitate toward that industry because of my curiosity and my interest. And I remember like walking into, you know, different meetings and I would be like somewhat uncomfortable thinking like, okay, I'm the youngest one here. I'm also a female and these are mostly males. And how am I going to be received in this room? Mm -hmm. And I did feel like a great responsibility to be like, you know what? I'm a young female in this room, but I know my stuff and I need to be, you know, I, I, can present and I feel confident in it. But at the same time, it was like, I almost felt like maybe I had, I pushed a little too hard to really show, you know, who I was and the fact that they could trust me and they could believe me. Cause I always felt like going into those meetings that the cards were stacked against me. It was like, you know, people weren't going to take me seriously. So I think that that was one of the the biggest challenges early on in my career was building that confidence in myself and saying, like, I don't have anything to prove. Like my work Ooh. can speak for itself. And when I get into this room, I should just feel good that, you know, first of all, I'm here. Right. So I, I was invited to the table and that matters. And second of all, you know, I'm here for a reason and I know what I'm doing. So I just need to you know, step into my own and be me. And that that took a while. I mean, it's still sometimes it's hard, right? Sometimes we still yeah. have imposter syndrome and we feel like we um shouldn't be where we are. And then we have to just remember that like we're, we are there because of who we are, you know? Oh yeah, that is one of the biggest lessons that I would want anyone that hears this to take from. I don't know what else you're going to say, but that is so huge and important. If you were invited, you belong at the table. That's it. It doesn't matter if you're the only woman there. It doesn't matter if you're brand new to it, if they had to have seen something in you to invite you there. And I've been in IT for 17 years and I still to this day walk in a room and I'm like, am I sure I belong here? (laughs) I'm like, some of these people have worked here for two weeks. Yes, I belong here. (laughs) 
but yeah, it never it, goes away. It's like you have to just strip the the image away, right? You have to like not think about it as these are males, I'm a female. These are, mm-hmm. you know, experienced people that have more tenure and I don't, you know, it's, it's stripped that all away and it all just comes down to like what you are, what you have to offer. And I think one mm-hmm. of the things I used to always remind myself is I'm the only person here that's me. And so therefore, I'm the only one here that can offer what I individually can offer. I mean, there could be overlap of services and and thought processes and things like that, but no one has that unique mix of, you know, perspective, experience, knowledge, you know, all of those things. I'm the only one that has that, right? And we all only have what we have and our own set of experiences and knowledge. So no matter what, you know, you're going in and you have a unique opportunity and a unique perspective to share. We all have that. So that's what I always like try to remind myself of is like, okay, these people may be way more intelligent than I am, but no one comes from the same background as me. Mm-hmm. And I can definitely contribute something here. So that that's kind of my fallback of when I got into imposter syndrome. I'm like, okay, but no one here's Jen. So Jen can do what Jen can do and no mm-hmm. one else can. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. I'm sure that's helped a lot. Now, what's helped you the most in pursuing this endeavor? I think a lot of it is about, you know, wanting that that ultimate goal. Like I've always wanted to be successful and I define my own success as like being happy, having a family and having a job that I don't dread. And that has always been my drivers of success, you know, financially being um, successful in that sense and having some sort of financial freedom where it's not weighing heavy on you. That's definitely part of it. But I, I'm definitely driven to continue to improve, to be better than I am, you know, day after day, but also to, you know, go toward the things that I really want to accomplish. I also am like a a big visualization person. So I kind of like imagine myself in those situations of like, what do I want my house to to look like? What do I want it to feel like? What do I want my job to feel like? You know, how will I feel rewarded and respected and appreciated and try to, you know, continue to move toward those things. And I think the more that I kind of keep that in focus, the more those things find me, right? It's a yeah. a little bit of like manifesting those opportunities. And, you know, in the last year and a half, I've had a really amazing opportunity career-wise in strategic communications. And it's an opportunity that when I look back at the breadcrumbs to see how I got there, it's from relationships that I, you know, created before my son was born and he's seven. So mm-hmm. I created those relationships a long time ago, did my best work, Maybe those, you know, relationships fell off a little bit, but somehow they circled back. And then I ended up getting into a position working with some really great companies and having a very lucrative role that I'm very proud of that, you know, challenges me, but also allowed my husband to quit his job and gave him the opportunity to work for himself. So it's, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty optimistic person. There's, Mm -hmm. there's times that I'm like, what am I doing? I don't know anything and this sucks and my business is dying, but there's other times that, you know, that's like maybe 3% of the time Mm -hmm. the 97% of the time I'm excited about what's to come because I just have this mentality of things are always going to get better. There's going to be times that I have to take three steps back and take one forward but I know that things will continue to improve and I'll continue to get toward that, you know, that success that I want to get to. And I I need to embrace the journey on the way there. 
Yeah. Kind of long-winded, I know. But one thing I, I do want to mention is that when I had my fitness studio, so we had a few very intense moments during that. We were in, involved in a lawsuit at one point. Um, our neighbors sued us because they said we were too loud. It was like this whole big thing. And they were lawyers. So, you know, it was easy for them to sue us. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything, any legal, anything. You know, now I do great. I know all about acoustics and how to dampen sounds <laughs> that I will never probably need to know in the future, you know. But um, there, there were a few times I remember like ugly crying and being like, you know, this is terrible, this is over. But I... I remember the last day that I was in my studio. So our lease was going to expire December 31st, 2020. And we worked out a deal with our landlord to um, end the lease two months early because that was October, 2020. And we Mm -hmm. had not been operational for quite a few months and it was just didn't make sense. Um, And we thought, you know, hey, if we end this lease and we decide that we want to go somewhere else, we can. But let's just take this off our plate, enjoy the holidays, you know, not have the stress of, of all of this overhead and everything. So I remember sitting in the studio with my friend who also who I met through through the studio who became one of my best friends. And I remember sitting there with her and thinking, this is it. Like, this is this is that adage. When people say it's about the journey, that's exactly what this is, because the destination was closing, right? Mm-hmm. So no one starts a business thinking, oh, I'm going to close this. You know, that's that's not what you're looking for. But mm-hmm. when you when you go through it and you get to the end and that is the end result, I was okay with it because I thought, wow, this this journey, that's, that's exactly what this was. Like I was here for four years. We did amazing things in, in those four years. So even though the end destination was going in another direction, that was incredible. It was a whirlwind of amazingness for those four years that we did it. So that was, I I just remember being like, oh, now I get it. (laughs) People always say this, but I'm so impatient. I've always wanted to just get to the end. Yeah, we actually closed a business this year too. And the way you explained it is so much more eloquent than I've ever been able to (laughs) because (laughs) it was, it was devastating making the decision to close for us because we weren't forced into it. It was a choice that we had to make. So I had lots of tears, lots of snot, you know, just all the bad yeah, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and then by the time we tore everything down and we were ready to give the keys back to the landlord, I was fine. And my husband was like, this isn't sad. I'm like, oh yeah, it's sad, but it's over. Like we, we started this business, we created this amazing, magical place and it just didn't do what we expected it to. And it's over. And I still have all the memories. I have all the experience and it just closed and my next chapter is going. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of how I looked at it too, is, you know, when people ask me, you know, are, are you sad about it? Like, do you miss it? And I'm like, well, there's definitely parts I miss, which is really just the people and getting to hang out with my friends every day. I miss that. But it was it was exactly as it was supposed to be. And, you know, at the end, it wasn't about failure. Like, I, I hate that word. I hate it a lot just because I don't like the emotions that are often associated with it. It was, it was just, it was the end. It was the end of that part of our lives in that form. It changed. I mean, we still bring a lot of that forward, but that is, it's just in a different way, you know? And so I felt, 
I felt really good about it. You know, it was, there were a few things that I felt relieved about. Like I was exhausted. We worked all the time. We loved it. So it didn't feel like you were working all the time, but it was exhausting. I mean, we, yes. we worked 12 hour days every day. And we, when we opened, my son was six months old. So it was, you know, or nine months old at the time. So we were growing a business at the same time we were growing a child. So mm -hmm. it, it was not, not easy, but uh, you know, the one thing that I always said was I wanted to look back at that story and tell my son that, you know, my husband and I, we did it. Like we, we did it. We absolutely did it. Maybe we didn't, you know, do it forever, but we did it. And it was something that we really wanted to do. And we felt passionate about it and we gave it a shot and we gave it our best shot. And I didn't want the story to my son be to be something like, hey, we always had this dream of opening up a fitness studio, but we never did it. You right. know, instead, the story was we always had this dream. We did it. And it was amazing. And then it was a new chapter. Then we were done. So mm -hmm. my son did get to experience it. And it's funny. The other day, he we went past the old building and he said, um, he's like, oh, yeah, that is where fuel used to be. And I said, yeah. And he's like, oh, it's kind of sad. And I was like, well, it's a little sad. I said, but it's kind of awesome that we used to be in there and that was our business. And he's mm -hmm. like, okay, yeah. And he, he kind of understood that. So, you know, it's better to, it's that other saying of it's, it's better to have, to not have regret than fear of failure or something. You know what I'm saying, right? It's, I know what you're saying. I don't know you these saying, fear, but I know what you're saying. <laughs> you shouldn't fear failure. You should fear regret. Yes. Right? So yes, that's, that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> that's so true. And I literally had a similar conversation with my son yesterday. We have our logo. We got it as a Christmas ornament. And he was looking Aww. at the tree and he was like, why did we have to close? And so we had that discussion and he's like, you're right. We have the memories. And Aww. so it's such a good lesson for them to learn. Right. Yes. And it's, and it's something that they'll remember and they'll bring forward. And, you know, it's, again, it's, you did it right. At some point you did it. And I hope that my son will think that whatever his dreams and ambitions are, that they're totally possible. And if they don't work out as he planned, at least he gave it a shot. You know, I would never want to hold him back from at least trying something that he feels he should do, you know, something that's pulling at him. And that's how we were. It was always pulling at me to do it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I could never say I didn't do it because I did. Yeah, that's great. So what advice would you give someone who was wanting to enter into your profession? And you have a couple you could speak to, whichever. Yeah, well, I would, I mean, so I would say the, the first part, like if you are, if you want to start your own business of any kind, you know, I think now is there are so many more opportunities than there were even, you know, starting my first business or second business. So many, it's so much more acceptable, I guess, but it's also, you know, we we said that there were many days when we had our business that if we weren't passionate about the impact that we were making, then we wouldn't have made it as far as we did because we would have quit because quitting sometimes is easy. And mm -hmm. we just chose not to take that route until it was the right time. So, you know, if someone wants to start their own business, it, you know, go for it. Give it a shot. It, the worst you can do is it doesn't work. And then you do something else, you know, but you only live once. So it's totally worth it to at least give it a try. And, you know, for those that are looking to go into like more consulting roles, which is, you know, what I'm doing now more full time, you know, I would even say any gig, let's be real, is about <laughs> figuring out what it is, what you want your life to look like. 
Like what hours do you want to work? How much do you want to work? How much do you want to be compensated? What kind of things do you want? Do you want flexibility? Do you want, you know, to be really passionate about something and, and put everything into it? You know, what do you want your life to look like? And then you kind of figure out what that job is or what that career is. And I think too often we look at the opposite way. We say, oh, I want to do this as my career. I want to do that. But really it's what's the impact that you want to make and how do you want your life to be? So, you know, us getting into fitness, I have always been interested in fitness. I've played sports and it just made such a profound impact on me and my life that I wanted to offer that to other people. And so the impact was about getting people to be more active, to be healthier and happier and just the vessel for that was the business. And that was kind of what we developed and, and our life by design because we wanted to do it on our own terms. And, mm -hmm. you know, you have to, when you're an entrepreneur, you have to do things that you don't always want to do or that you don't always like. My One of the professors in grad school used to always say, like, you have to be willing to clean the toilet. And that was his mm -hmm. saying, because it was, you know, if you want to run the business, great, you can be the face of your business, but sometimes you also have to clean the toilets. And that's until you're good enough that you can hire someone else to do it for you. You know, my, my main advice would be, you know, design, create your life by design. What do you want? What's the impact you want to make? What do you want your life to look like? And then you can figure out how everything else kind of falls into that. Yeah, no, that is fantastic. And I think you're right. I think a lot of people are like, I want to be a lawyer because of the prestige or whatever reason. And then they get into it and they're like, this fucking sucks. Like, I'm working <laughs> all the time. Like, right? I don't, I don't get to walk in and start cussing out a judge like they do on TV. It just, <laughs> yeah, it's not, not the anything. same. <laughs> right. Yep. I think if we can get people to flip it and say, what do you want your day to be like? That's genius. That is such good information, Jen. It's it's always kind of helped me decide or, or when I had to make decisions, right? Those things always help me make that decision. Like, do I want to take on this extra gig or something? Uh, that's going to take up all my nights? No, because at night, my priority is, you know, being with my family at this point in my life. So. Right. It's, it's definitely kind of like a little bit of a gut check for you too. Oh, for sure. And considering that before that, like I was just talking to another business owner and she was telling me that she was offered a large, it would have been half again, what she made annually for one contract. And she was like, it's so much money. I would really like to do this. But when she looked at it, it, it didn't fit. Like she did not agree with it at all on a moral level. And she's like, I had to turn yeah. it away. And it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. But sitting back and not just checking, like you said, this will take my evenings, my evenings are my family's. No, but morally, like if you are really into PETA and a company that butchers cows wants you to work for them. That right. would be really hard to sit with, even if it fits within your salary and your hours, just knowing that you're working with that on a moral standard can fuck with you. <laughs> so yeah, it's so well, good to think before you leap on anything. I totally remember there was, um, I think it was like an, a TV personality and they said, um, and I wish I could remember who to attribute this to, but it was, you know, 99% of my failures have been opportunities where I should have said no. Right. And mm -hmm. so she basically was saying that just what you're saying, you know, it didn't necessarily align with who I am. So I didn't do my best work because I couldn't get fully behind it. And so her whole concept was, you know, if it doesn't feel right, then 
then don't do it because you're going to be a disservice to everyone. You're not going to be happy. Your client's not going to be happy or, you know, whoever else is involved because you're just not going to perform at your optimal performance level because you're just not that into it. So I think it takes a lot of guts to say no to those things, especially when there's like big numbers flashing in your face. But uh, my, my philosophy is always, you know, when you say no to things that don't serve you, bigger things come your way because you're proving that you're going to stick to your morals and your values and that, you know, that you're not going to compromise that. So the universe sends bigger, better opportunities in your direction. And and I've experienced it. You know, I'm not just saying that to say it, but it definitely has happened to me too. Yep. That's exactly what I was going to say. I, I didn't want it to sound flippant like, oh, just say no. It's hard to make that decision. <laughs> yeah. It's not like you sit there and you're like, oh, I don't need $60,000 more this year. Right, you know, right. I have all these medical things going on and our pipes broke and blah, 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 but I'm going to turn away this money. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, when you do, when when it's the right thing, when you know to your core, it's the right thing. Like you said, the universe is like, yep, you're you're yeah. following your life path. Yep. Here's a hundred grand, half the work, and you up the person. Go. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it, and I, you know, I've been in that situation too where I, I've said yes to too many things and then, you know, backtracked. And I was like, why did I say yes to that? That was a terrible mm-hmm. idea. And then it was like, okay, mental note, next time that comes up, say no. Right. And remember it. <laughs> right. Right. So when the universe sends you the lesson again, pass the test. <laughs> right. So you gave people some good advice, but I would like to know what is some of the best advice you've received? I dropped a few in there. Um, I think mm-hmm. one of them is about having more fear of regret than failure, that it was mm-hmm. definitely a good piece of advice that I kind of, that resonated a lot when I was running the business. Another one is, is that your, your mission is bigger than the moment, right? So it's like when you're in a really tough time and the moment is tough, you, you have to think, well, what's the bigger picture? And that was a lot of my career as well, you know, where there were times that I was like, this is, this sucks and this is terrible and, and awful and doesn't feel good. But what are we really trying to do in the end? So, you know, everything is temporary. And that, that's a good lesson I learned when I had my son was, you know, all the phases of his life are very temporary. So it's oh, yeah. that's good and bad. The hard times, they're temporary. You're going to get by them. But the good times, they're temporary too. So you have to like savor them and enjoy them. So I think that those things, those little bits of advice that I've kind of received throughout my career have been very helpful in my life, you know, knowing that everything's temporary, things will always change and just taking chances when, when it makes sense, you know, to just go for it, because if not, you're going to look back and say, I wish I did. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. no one wants, no one wants to be that way. Right. Yep. Rather fail than have regret. Yeah. I've never heard your mission is bigger than the moment and I love it. I'm putting it on a pillow or something. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Well, that, I believe that kind of came out when we were going through the lawsuit. And I remember thinking like, okay, but like, this is one passing moment in this whole journey. We're going to get to the end of this. Whatever happens will happen. We're doing the best we can. And that's all we can ask of each other. And, but our mission is bigger than that. So our business still matters and, you know, we have to keep going. And we did, I mean, we made it through that, through that bump in the road, which was a very gigantic bump, but, um, 
but they ended up dropping the lawsuit as they should have, you know, nice. after they drug us through the mud. <laughs> but I learned a lot, as I said, and I thought in the end, I was like, okay, well, next time this happens, let's hope it doesn't. But if it does, I'm more than prepared. Well, and you beat <laughs> lawyers at their own game. I mean, kudos to you. Well, we have endurance, you know, we're running a fitness studio. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I always say that business is about endurance, right? It's like, who can last the longest? What can you withstand as you go? And yeah, and that was part of our philosophy was like, we weren't backing down because we knew we weren't wrong. And we just right. were like, this, we'll figure out how to get to the end. But like, I just had faith that we would end up on the right side because we were already there. Because this is Fragmenters and we are empowering younger and older, whatever, women to pursue their dreams. I'd like to know, why do you feel it's imperative for women to work in your field? Well, I think women have such a good perspective. And oftentimes, you know, when I when I'm talking to clients, so many of them and, you know, just in general, so many of them are really focused on like what it is that they want to achieve, like what their goals are, what their business goals are. And I think that as women, we we often look at it from the other side. We look at what other people think and feel and want. And I can't tell you how many times I've been in conversations where you know, I have the CEO of the company who's a male who says like, well, we have to do this and X, Y, Z. And then I say, well, what do your customers want? And they are like, well, um, you know, and I'm like, okay, well, that is how we have to look at this is what mm -hmm. do people want? What do they need? What should they be hearing? It's not just about you and your goals all the time. That's a bit, you know, it's a very broad generalization between females and males. But I do think that females being at the table and bringing these insights and these perspectives really matter. And sometimes, you know, especially in the tech world, they get so caught up in in the numbers and the businesses and the success. And, you know, women, we, we generally practice more empathy. So when we come in, we're thinking about the bigger picture and we're thinking about other things and we can just really open people's eyes to what that situation is. The other thing I would say too, is that, you know, there's been countless businesses that I've worked with where we've looked at their employees and their board. And we've said, your board looks like all white males. Like why, do, what, is, where's the diversity? And they don't always realize it. And they're like, oh, uh, okay. Yeah, you're right. We, we should have some more diverse voices and perspectives and thoughts here. And I just think that they are, you know, males don't always see that because they're not focused on it. It's, it doesn't affect them as frequently. Whereas, you know, females, like I said, when I was younger and I'd walk into the room, I'd be like, is there another woman here? Because we have to have each other's back. Right. I, I, I hardly think a male ever walks into a, into a boardroom or a meeting and says, oh, are there going to be other guys here? You know, and will they have my back? Like, I don't think that ever happens to them. So I think the more females we can get into the industry that can interject their thoughts and perspectives, the better off everyone will be. Because again, like we all, all rooms should be diverse and we should have right. all of those thoughts and viewpoints and not just have one, you know, homogeneous thought process that, you know, everyone's thinking the same exact way. I think if, if your ideas are never challenged, you're, you probably have the wrong idea. Right. Well, and maybe not wrong, but just you're stuck. You can't grow yeah, if yeah. you have the same ideas in there. I I love that perspective. And I definitely have felt it in my career. There was a very, I mean, it's tech, it's IT. So there were mostly men in the room and everything was on KPIs, key performance indicators and 
the numbers and how quickly you close out tickets and blah, blah, blah. And a couple women got in and they were like, well, how are the customers feeling? How yeah. is this? And the KPIs are changed because the customers were feeling rushed. And so they would always give poor reviews, even though things were resolved quickly. So they lengthened the time that they were allowed to be on calls and stuff. And then the customers were happy and everything was better. And things oh, wow. actually got resolved quicker in, in the day. Like there was more resolved in the day because they took that extra couple minutes. It was, it was amazing to see. And I yeah. think you're right. It's, it's because if you have the same experiences going back to near the beginning, you have the same experiences talking about the same thing. You're not going to see something different. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. And it's sometimes it just takes one person to think differently and present the idea and it kind of just changes how everyone thinks. And, mm -hmm. you know, to your point, too, I think sometimes it's like uh, leadership will just be black and white. You know, it's, it's a numbers game. It's just that, you know, and then you have to have other people that have more of a qualitative thinking where they're kind of like, OK, well, no, it's not just quantitative. It's also qualitative. So what else can we be doing? But you'll miss so many opportunities if you don't have that other perspective. So we got through all the hard stuff. Now I want to know, what do you do for fun? I love this question because I, I always think I'm like, I should have more hobbies. Um, <laughs> but so I did actually, someone asked me this question, like maybe the beginning of the year. And I remember thinking like, oh, I should like really have an answer for this. And one of the things which like now sounds so cliche because everyone else is doing it. But one of the things that I did this year was um, I started pickleball. And I joined a clinic and everyone was much older than I was, but it was so much fun. And it was, you know, for an hour on Thursdays and every Thursday I would go and I'd hang out with my friends who were much older than I was, but it was so refreshing. It was amazing. And they were great. And it was fun to learn something that, you know, I played when I was like in high school and I didn't really remember all the rules or anything, but I did remember that I enjoyed it. So I was like, you know what, I'll just throw myself in there and give it a shot. And um, it was a it was a good experience. It was good for me because I wasn't in control of anything. It was just me going there to learn. I was with all of these new people who were like not on their phones, not, you know, so worried about electronics or anything like that. They were just like they just wanted to learn something new and wanted to move their body. And I was like, these people are great. They, they were I remember I one day I asked if I could take a picture of the class <laughs> and they all just looked at me like why would you want a picture? So we had someone <laughs> take a picture. And then I said, it was amazing because no one said, let me see, like, how do I look in the picture? They were all just yeah. like, okay, see you next week. And I'm like, these, these people are great. Yeah. But that, so that's one of the things that I started doing. And then, um, you know, fitness wise, I work out and I'm doing um, a couple runs that are coming up and I'm excited about those. So that's, that's kind of what I do on the side, I guess. Awesome. Are you a reader? I am a reader. Yes. Yes. What you reading? So the most recent book actually is um, The Opposite of Spoiled, which is uh, a book about finances and teaching kids about finances. So, Ooh. I mean, this is not exactly exciting stuff, I guess, but I really do like nonfiction books that can help me kind of, again, look at things differently. And this book, I think, is amazing for, you know, instilling some financial education into my child and making sure that 
he grows up being much more financially savvy than I was. Oh, yeah. My daughter's moved out while moving. She still has a little bit left here, but she has got her own place. And I realized that budgeting and money do not come as easily to people as it did me. It just I'm naturally really good at budgeting and stuff. So sitting down and talking budgets and all of this stuff, she was just like, I don't know. By the end, <laughs> she asked me, she's like, that's it. And I'm like, yeah, that's it. She's like, oh, I thought it was way worse. But right? it's really good to have those moments and to teach them. So I I have three more kids I'm going to have to teach. So I'm definitely going to pick it up. <laughs> I think it'll help. So far, I've really enjoyed it. And it is, it's just all about like understanding how you were brought up when it came to money values and, um, mm-hmm. you know, how to how to make a change if necessary. You know, another book is Happy Money, which I really liked Happy Money. That helped me change my mindset around finances, which was, you know, went from like being ashamed and worried and, and mm-hmm. you know, concerned to like really embracing it. And then having the mindset of like, we deserve to have money to do the things we want to do. Like money's not evil. And I think right. I always had this mentality that money was evil. Oh, for sure. Healing that money wound is a beast. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. But so much better when you do it, when you put in the time and the work, right? It is for sure. So that's really all the questions I have for you. Did you have anything, any closers you want to throw out there? Any questions for me? The The only thing I would say is, you know, for, again, like we're talking about females being in the industry and kind of doing things is, you know, I... I think it's hard to, I think we, it's always hard for women in anything, to be perfectly honest, every area of our lives, women have a tough time. (laughs) But the one thing that I think I've really tried to work on that I think women need to understand sooner is that, you know, we have to accept ourselves for who we are and that we should not be comparing ourselves to other people and that we, the better we feel about ourselves, the better we can contribute to society and to our families and to any, to our communities. And so it's really about like doing that inner work first. And it's not selfish. It's actually unselfish because the better you are, the better person you can be for everyone else. So I think it took me a while to to really think about that because you're always thinking like, no, I want to be selfless and put other people first. And, you know, that's great. But really, you do the work for yourself first, find your, find your happiness, find the things that really drive you and motivate you. And then everything else falls into its place. That's, Uh, that's what I'd like people to take away. I completely agree. I love it. So last thing, if people want to be your best friend, or if they want to hire you to get their branding and stuff on point, how can they reach out to you? The best place would be is on LinkedIn. So it's uh, Jen Cohen Crompton on LinkedIn. Um, and there I kind of have all my information. I'm on there very frequently. And then, you know, the other, yeah, I would say that's the best place because our website's not amazing. It's not a great representation. <laughs> Shoemakers, kids have no shoes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely LinkedIn. <laughs> that's a good place to catch me. <laughs> okay. I mean, you do social work, so that's a social. Just don't yeah, look at yeah. the website. <laughs> Right. The website's just not beautiful because I always forget about it because I'm always on social media. So, you know. All right. Thank you so much, Jen. I super appreciate this conversation and I'll let you know when it gets out. That sounds amazing. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You have a great day. You too. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you had as much fun as I did. 
If you liked this, please rate, review, and subscribe to ensure that you can more easily find me in the future. To continue this and more conversations, you can always find me at d at fragmenters.com. That's D-E-A at fragmenters.com on Instagram and Facebook at Fragmenters. And I also have a Facebook group called Fragmenters where all the ladies with like-minded business sense hang out and enjoy. Thank you again. Bye. We got the right.